There are two kinds of people in the world, saints and sinners, right? Wrong. Because the Bible says that saints are sinners and sinners are saints. Language is important. And misunderstanding it can lead to a lot of confusion. For instance, we, we have a tendency to think that being a saint is synonymous with being good. And our dictionaries would support that definition. One dictionary says, a person of great holiness, virtue, or benevolence. Another dictionary says, one eminent for his piety and virtue. Wikipedia says, a person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness or likeness to God. Now, I don't want to hurt anyone's self-esteem, but when I look around here this morning, I don't see anyone with eminent piety and virtue. And I don't see anyone having an exceptional degree of holiness or likeness to God. What I do see when I look around here is a lot of sinners. What I do see when I look around here is a lot of saints. Because the Bible says that sinners are saints and saints are sinners. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, what he says from verse 10 through the rest of the book, from verse 10 of chapter 1 through the rest of the book, may seem like a non sequitur. When I was in seminary, they taught us never to use Greek in our preaching. But non sequitur is Latin. It's not Greek, and they didn't say anything about using Latin. And I think it was R.C. Sproul who once said, if something can be said in Latin, it should be said in Latin. So I repeat, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, from verse 10 of chapter 1 on through the rest of the book, may seem to be a non sequitur. What that means is that it doesn't seem to follow. You wouldn't guess what a mess the Corinthian church was in, what sinfulness prevailed among its members, and what harsh words Paul is going to speak to the Corinthians based on what he says about them here in the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 1. If we didn't know better, we might think that uh, Paul had made a mistake. He wrote a lot of letters, you know, and uh, maybe he attached the wrong greeting to this letter. Because the Apostle Paul starts off here in verse 2 saying, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. These people were saints? Was Paul serious? These people were divisive. They were followers of men rather than followers of God. 
They spent more time tearing the church down than building it up. They were immoral and tolerated immorality in the church. Christians were married to non-Christians. There was a lot of divorce. There was such enmity between these people that they were taking each other to court. They overindulged in food and alcohol. Some of them were getting drunk while celebrating <laughs> the Lord's Supper. They all thought they were better than one another, and they were abysmally ignorant of some very important Christian doctrines. And Paul calls these people saints. Maybe he was just being polite. Or maybe he was just flattering these people so that he could get a hearing for what he had to say to them later on. I don't think so. Paul wasn't that kind of a guy. The reason that Paul called these people saints is because that is what they were. You see, Paul understood something that even a lot of people today don't understand, and that is that the words saint and good are not synonymous. We don't become saints by acting good. We become saints through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord alone. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that a person is a saint because they acted in a good way. It never says that. The saints are to be good, but they do not become saints by being good. We only become saints through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, while it may seem that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10 and following may seem like a non sequitur. In fact, it isn't. It would only be a non sequitur if Paul was writing to people who weren't saints. In that case, Paul would be in the position of trying to encourage people who weren't saints to act like saints. But again, the Bible makes it clear that we don't become saints by acting like saints. 1 Corinthians 1.10 and following only follows if the people to whom the Apostle Paul was writing were saints. Then it would make sense for the Apostle Paul to remind them of who they were and to encourage them to behave like saints. The Apostle Paul would never write to people who weren't saints and tell them to shape up and begin acting like saints. That wouldn't make any biblical sense whatsoever. It would be like me uh, telling you to go home and start acting like a motor car. You could do that. You could go home tonight and sleep in the garage. And then in the morning, you could go down to the DMV and get license tags. You could run around town making car noises like beep, 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 beep. Or maybe they'd think you were the road runner. Uh, you could go to a gas station and get your pressure taken and get all gassed up. 
But that wouldn't make you a motor car, would it? That's absurd. The only way that you could become a motor car is if by some miracle your nature was changed from humanness to motor carness. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing to people in whom he knows a miracle has taken place. These people have had their very nature changed by a miracle of God. They are, for that reason and that reason alone, called saints. Paul called them saints because that is what they were. And we, regardless of how we act, are as well through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord alone. The assurance that Paul had that these people were indeed called as saints was based on two proofs. The first proof Paul had that these people were indeed called as saints was the proof that they called upon the Lord. He says again in verse 2, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The phrase to call upon the Lord is a phrase that runs throughout Scripture. We see it for the first time in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, soon after the fall. And it says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In Genesis 12 and verse 8, with regard to Abraham, it says also, then, uh, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched a tent with Bethel on the west and Ai in the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Isaac also is said to have built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. The prophet Joel says that all whom God has delivered will call upon the name of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul quotes Joel then in Romans 10 and says, All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everywhere that that phrase is used in Scripture, it denotes faith in God. Of course, that begs the question... Where does faith come from? And the only biblical answer to that is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That is, the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This faith only occurs, the Bible says, in people who have experienced a miracle in their lives, whose very nature has been changed 
so that they desire to please God and desire to glorify him. It only occurs in people that John says have been born from above or the way that is most commonly expressed today, people who have been born again. We used to have someone who came to this church at our other uh, location, in fact, later on became an elder in the church. But when he heard me say that for the first time, uh, he reacted uh, very negatively. He said, I was born again when I believed. And I said, no, the scripture says you believed because you were born again. And I directed him then to John chapter 3, where Jesus himself says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Which comes first? What is the condition to seeing and entering the kingdom of God. It's very clear from the scripture that the condition is that that person must be born again. That person must be born from above. A miracle must have taken place in this person's life. And it's a miracle performed on that person by someone else, namely by God. I mean, this makes sense to us. Nobody here born themselves, did they? No, we were all born by someone else. We don't born ourselves. We're born by somebody else, and Christians have been born from above. They've been born again by God. And because of that, then faith is given as a gift of God's grace in order to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. This is what Paul is acknowledging here in his introduction to the letter of Corinthians. He's acknowledging what God has done in these people's lives. We know from what comes that these people don't act like saints, at least not the way we think saints are supposed to act. In other words, these are not good people. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is focusing on here in the introduction, he's focusing on the fact that these people are saints because of what God has done in their lives. We don't become saints by acting good. We are saints because God has performed a miracle in our lives. He's changed our very natures. We've been born again and by his grace, we exercise faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And Paul has no doubt about the fact that this faith exists here, that this miracle of God having changed these people's nature has occurred because, he says, they call upon the name of the Lord. I don't know how this last week went for you, but mine went like it usually does. I failed the Lord again and again and again. If people knew me, really knew me, knew my thoughts, knew my actions at all times, they would say, that person isn't a saint, he's a sinner. Because of the connotation that the word saint has, 
in our culture, that it means someone who is good. But that's not what it means biblically. We are sinners and saints. Saints are sinners. They're not saints because they act good. They're saints because of the power of God that has changed their nature by a miracle, by the new life that he has given them from the new birth, and because of the faith that he has given them to take hold of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. The second proof that Paul had that these people were indeed called to be saints was the proof of the abundant grace that had been poured out in these people's lives individually and corporately. Remember, Paul already knows what these people are really like. He knows what he's going to be writing them from verse 10 of chapter 1 on, and yet he is thankful and rejoices in what God has done in and for them. In verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you. Gosh, I wonder if you were the pastor of this church, would you write, I thank God for you all of the time. But this is the way the Apostle Paul talks about the Corinthian church. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. Why? Because they're such rotten people? No. He, he thanks God because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthian church was a very gifted church. But being gifted doesn't make a church spiritually mature. We know that they weren't spiritually mature, and yet God had given them everything necessary for them to grow as Christians and to become more spiritually mature. This is what Paul is thankful for and rejoices in. And specifically, he refers to uh, in all speech and all knowledge and has reference here in a general way to those gifts related to both teaching and proclaiming the word of God and to receiving and understanding it and applying it to our lives. I wonder how many of you know that being preached to from the word of God is not necessarily the norm in the church in the United States of America. We had another fellow in our church a while back uh, when we were at the other uh, location, who came to us after having served as an elder in the PCUS church for 30 years. He was in a Bible study in our home one night, and I asked him if he would read a text from the book of Romans. 
and he couldn't find it. And he got very flustered and embarrassed and left the room. And later he told me, don't ever do that again. And I said, why? He said, I didn't know where it was. He said, I don't know my Bible. He said, Steve, I grew up in a church that didn't teach the Bible the way you teach it here. A friend came with him one time to church from that same church that he had left. And at the conclusion of the service, he came up and shook my hand and he said, young man, I want you to take a word of advice from an older, wiser person. He said, the Bible is a good book, but you can make too much of a good thing. That was the teaching that they were getting in, quote, a Christian church. That is the appreciation they had for the word of God in a Christian church. The Corinthians didn't have that problem, the Apostle Paul says. They had been given able teachers who were teaching them the word of God. Specifically, he refers to Apollos and to Peter and, of course, Paul himself and Sosthenes, who he mentions here in the introduction. The church at Corinth was spiritually immature. They definitely were not acting like the saints that they were called to be. But God had graciously given them everything necessary for growing up and maturing in the things of God. And he gave them the ability to understand this teaching that they were receiving. In uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In other words, not only had God given the Corinthian church teachers, faithful teachers who proclaimed the Word of God to them, but he had also given them by his Spirit the ability to receive that word and to understand it and to apply it to their lives. When I consider our church as it has come down in history, we will celebrate 32 years of this church being in existence in September of this year. And I think of the people that God has provided to this church the pastors, but also the members of the church who knew the word of God, who could preach the word of God, who could teach the word of God. And when I think of the number of people who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and who have matured in their faith, then I have to acknowledge that the same thing is true of us as was true for the Corinthian church and that God has poured 
his abundant grace out upon us as well. We have people who have faithfully served this church and brought it forward to where it is uh, today. I look out in the congregation, I see at least two people, uh, Bob Beatty, Glenn Van Inc., uh, Lee, Joy. Um, there are a few that have been here from the very beginning. And I know that they can testify as well that the word of God has been preached and taught in this church. And that is a sign, again, of the fact that God has been working in this church and that just like the Corinthians were called as saints, so we hear those sinners are called as saints as well. That is the proof that we have that we are indeed the saints of God. This is the proof that the Apostle Paul had that in spite of how they were acting, the Corinthians were indeed called as saints. They called upon the name of the Lord and God's abundant grace had been poured out on that church. There are two kinds of people in this world, sinners and saints, right? Wrong. Because the Bible says that sinners are saints and saints are sinners. What God wants in his church is for him to be glorified. And having a biblical understanding of what it means to be a saint brings glory to him. Because it focuses upon what God has done. In working a miracle of causing us to be born again, of changing our natures so that we now have a desire to serve and to glorify God, by giving us faith to take hold of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and by pouring out the gifts of his spirit here in the congregation so that we might grow and mature in the things of God. How many of you know what's coming up on September the 4th of this year? I see we don't have any good Catholics in our midst. Uh, Mother Teresa will be canonized as a saint on the 4th of September. Poor Mother Teresa. She's had to work hard at this. She dedicated her life to taking care of the poor, people who were not lovely or loved. And then she died in 1997, and that is when the process began to declare her a saint. First, she had to be beatified, which means that people in her local area of ministry could recognize her as an exceptional person who had influence in heaven. They could pray to her, both through her to Jesus Christ and actually to her for miracles in their own lives. And finally, in 2002, someone's prayer to Mother Teresa with regard to a miracle of healing took place, which is one of the necessary requirements for becoming a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. And then she had to continue to wait 
down through the years for more and more testimonies about what a good person she was until finally 20 years or 19 years after she died, she's finally going to be recognized as a saint. But Mother Teresa didn't have to work that hard to become a saint. Because it's not about us, it's about God. And think about that. In this process of declaring Mother Teresa a saint, who gets the glory? Is it God or Mother Teresa? Did you know that pilgrimages have been going on, and especially this year, in the year of her canonization, to her grave in India? She is reverenced, or as they say in the Roman Catholic Church, she is venerated. People bow and make the sign of the cross before her pictures. And eventually, when she is canonized, then people everywhere in the world will be able to pray through her to Jesus and to her for miracles that they want in her life. Who is the focus of all of that? It's Mother Teresa. So our understanding of what it means to be a saint really robs God of his glory and focuses upon our goodness. But understanding the term saint in a biblical sense gives God the glory. It focuses on the power of God in working a miracle in our lives, in giving us a new nature that desires to serve and to glorify God. It focuses on the grace of God that gives us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And it focuses on the faithfulness of God who will never give up on his saints. Verse 8 and 9 says, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He causes us to be born again. He gives us faith to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he is faithful to the end to keep that commitment that he has made to sinners and to saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a powerful God. That not only do you create, but you recreate. Father, that not only are you just, but that you are a gracious and a compassionate God who for reasons known only to yourself have chosen to make us who are sinners into saints. Father, we pray that we would take that seriously, that we would not try to act like saints, but that because we realize everything that you have done for us, that we would try to work out in our lives what it means to be the saints of God. And Father, we thank you 
that regardless of our efforts here on earth, that again, one day we are going to be in glory with you and you will be glorified in and by your saints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.